Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had thus far. May it continue as we have opportunity to study God's Word here this morning. Let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians. It's been a while uh, since we've been in 2 Corinthians, and that was back before Christmas when we uh, put this aside for a little bit. We made it all the way through the end of chapter 4, and so we have now come back. Having made it all the way through all the wonderful declarations of the glory of Christ and uh, understanding Christmas and everything there, and then having spent some time in the book of Haggai, and we had a lot of fun uh, there seeing how God is leading us and guiding us and, and uh, shaping us as a church. And so now here we are coming back into this study through uh, the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, and uh, as we really reemphasize God's uh, power in the midst of our own weakness, and we find even more declarations of that here today and in such wonderful ways. And as you're turning in your Bibles there and as you find your place there in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, it is interesting as we think about life and as we think about where we are and living our own lives that life itself is full of all manner of displays of frailty, uh, of all manner of displays of weakness. And sometimes you sort of get to a point in life and you're like, is this it? Right? Is this all there is? Is that all that I have to look forward to, and praise be to God that whenever that question even enters our mind, no, that's not it. We have so much to look forward to in Christ, and that in Christ we look forward to indestructible and guaranteed life. So grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 uh, together here this morning. So read with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. And this is what we read. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come together today with all manner of illustrations of our own frailty in our own lives that we can testify to over the course of this past week, that we could testify to in just the manner of a few hours this morning. Father, we come admitting our weakness before you, that we would rejoice in the strength of what you have provided for us in Christ. God, stir our hearts here today to receive what you have so graciously given. And Father, may we all take delight and great hope in the indestructible, guaranteed life that's found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Be glorified in our midst, Lord, as we walk together in Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So by the time we get back to this point in 2 Corinthians, right, it is helpful thinking in terms of context and thinking of the God of all comfort and the God who raises the dead and the God who leads us in triumphal procession. We think of the great confidence that we have in Him, even as He's shaping our lives ever increasingly into the likeness of Christ. And that even across 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right, we do not lose heart. 
We function in certain ways for the glory of Christ because of the power of the gospel. We see that He's using even the hard things in life, that even our outer self, as it's wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Ultimately, as we look to the things, not that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And it's on the basis of that declaration that we pick up here today. And it's very important that we see even in the first three words here where we read, for we know. Now the we here, of course, is a reference to believers. For every person who has turned away from their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the we there includes you. Every person who is a believer who rests secure in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that in so doing, as we understand that to be us who are believers, we have to recognize we are people who know things. And that's a good thing, isn't it? We're not I don't know sort of people. We're like, oh, I know something. I may not know everything, but I know something. And my confidence is in Christ and who He is and what He has done that the eternal Son of God took on flesh, lived in perfect righteousness, died my death on the cross, rose from the dead, and I have forgiveness and everlasting life in His name. We know that. We're not left guessing. We rest in what we know. Forgiveness, reconciliation with God, redemption. We know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ for whose sake we would lose all things and still come out on the gain. And that we in Him have everlasting life. So we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, So that we can face reality, we face the reality of our own frailty with what we know in Christ. And it's an interesting illustration for the Apostle Paul to use, right? Because what was his line of work again, aside from being an apostle? He's a tent maker. So he would know this all too well, wouldn't he? This is a very familiar illustration to him. So here he is talking about a tent in terms of a temporary dwelling. And you can think of the temporary dwelling in terms of the tabernacle. You can think of the temporary dwellings that were all over the place during the Feast of Booths that was taking place once a year. You can think of even the ways in which we have used tents ourselves to go camping. Now, I may be wrong here, but I don't think anybody traveled here from a tent here this morning. It's a temporary dwelling place. Maybe you did, but you probably don't intend to next Sunday if you did this morning. It's not something that we just hope we, we lean into and say, this is my permanent spot. But what an interesting illustration to talk about our earthly home in terms of our earthly bodies. That if our tent is destroyed, does that happen? It does. Things fall apart. Use things long enough, things get sort of lopsided and wonky feeling. Storms come and storms go, and sometimes storms leave things a little worse than they found them. Tent flaps only get flappier. The material just seems to get thinner. Sometimes it feels like the whole thing is coming apart at the seams. This sounds familiar to us because this feels like life because this is life. 
And that so oftentimes in, in walking down hard roads, and maybe it's hard roads from the, that display the frailty of life. Maybe it's, it's an accident. Maybe it's something that somebody has inflicted upon you. Maybe it's something that you've walked in because of your own bad decisions. Maybe it's some manner of hardship that just seemed to fall into your lap. Maybe you've been hurt by others. Maybe it's some sort of looming diagnosis. We can all readily admit here the frailty of our own tent. It's not built to last, not in the form that it, we find it in right now. So that even though we've been through storms and we've been through pleasant weather as well, we've had the soggy days and the sunshiny days, that our hope is not tied to how well we can make this thing stay together. Our hope is in Christ and the life that he has provided. What freedom there is in that. That we would know the indestructible life that's found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Because we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we know what we have, right? That's great news, isn't it? We have a building from God that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we know that we have a building from God. We are assured by the life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus of his own indestructible life. And as we sang just a moment ago, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And because he lives, we will live also. No matter how tattered your tent may be, we take security in Jesus Christ and in him alone. See, this is a reminder for us to take inventory of the pantry of our lives, so to speak. So oftentimes we think we don't have what we really need in Christ. And so it's like going to the grocery store without the list where you didn't check first. And you go and you, 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 know, you buy your six boxes of macaroni and cheese or whatever else. And you buy your, you know, your 80 pack of toilet paper and paper towels and you bring it home and you open the pantry and you're like, I already had all this stuff. What am I doing? What a reminder for us. Look at what God has provided for us. Look at what we already have in Christ. We are fully stocked in Him, not by our own provision, but by what Jesus has provided for us in Himself. A building from God. Heavenly hope, comfort in Christ. We didn't do it. We didn't provide it for ourselves. It has been given to us by his own grace. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. And he gave it anyway. It's from God. And it matters when you look at the name of the builder, doesn't it? I mean, when you were buying a house, you were looking at the name of the builder. Who built this thing? I'd like to know. Because some, maybe you come across the name and you look at it and you're like, I don't know about this one. And then you come across another name like, oh, let's live in this house. What a reputation our Father in heaven has. A building from God. His name is on our redemption, our hope, our assurance. Only He can provide this. It's eternal in the heavens. Because the houses on earth have inevitable issues, don't they? That's why the honey-do list never ends. You fix one thing, and while you're fixing one thing, you find five more that need fixing. 
you scratch around a little and, you know, you don't want to scratch the little paint underneath the, the window because, you know, once you do that, it's like, oh, we've got to paint this whole thing now. But in Christ, we have an eternal home in the heavens, indestructible life, doesn't decay, never in need of an update, that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have life, forever fellowship with Him. And if it's there, made by Him, kept by Him, eternal in the heavens, we know nothing can mess it up down here, not even you. Isn't that wonderful news? We must know the indestructible life that's found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And that as we think about that, it should stir our affections for Him even right now. We should even be asked, you should ask yourself, do you have this kind of hope? That as you take inventory of your own life, what is it that you find? For all the stuff that we can't take with us when our life on earth is over, do you know what you have in Christ? And are you trusting Him in this very moment? Because what follows from here is such a wonderfully helpful and pertinent reminder that life is not easy, but our hope in Christ is absolutely secure. We read, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. That our groans across the span of our own lives are meant to guide us to God's guarantee. He says, in this tent we groan. Now, this is the same word and same language. It's used oftentimes, you know, biblically in terms of talking about a a woman groaning in the labor pains. I mean, it's used in various places, like in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. This groaning, we groan. In this tent, we groan. You may have let some out here this morning. You might be holding one in right now. Go ahead. I I was surprised. Some of you took me up on that. In this tent, we groan. And there are physical groanings. There are physical groanings when the doctor comes in there and is like, look, man, you are not as young as you used to be. Sometimes we groan when that spicy food that you love is is not so much delight as it is indigestion. We groan when you stand up, and as you're standing up and getting out of that seat, you start to wonder to yourself, who is it that's walking on bubble wrap? And then you realize that's your own joints. We groan as we face down the the reality of real terminal diagnoses. 
and the real reality of real loss. And even then, our groaning is not merely physical. Our groaning is spiritual as well as we walk through all manner of temptations and battles and get weary and overrun. And sometimes, sometimes the fruit that we are so longing for seems so long in coming. And sometimes the afflictions and the storms seem so severe and so overwhelming and so prone to despair and discouragement and we groan. Because as believers in this tent, we groan because we're longing for what we have already tasted. We have tasted hope and life in Christ. And so our appetites and our taste buds are suited for heavenly things of holiness and love. And so we long for that in our lives. But these groanings are also an admission. We need him. We need him to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. In this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now, interestingly enough, as you unpack this passage, and we can get into all manner of interesting details as you trace along the, not only this passage in the Greek text, but other passages as well, and as we just unpack, okay, what happens to a believer when they die? Well, if you just read along in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we readily acknowledge to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Right? We recognize that fact even from the thief on the cross. What did Jesus say to him? When would he be with him in paradise? Today, right? So we acknowledge that. And yet, at the same time, we also acknowledge 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where, and even Romans chapter 8 that we read a moment ago, where we are longing for the return of Christ, where restoration is made complete, where our physical bodies are raised to be like Christ in resurrection life. And so we long for both of those things. Right? Longing for the second coming of Christ. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to not being prone to frailty. Looking forward to not having to get your cholesterol checked. Looking forward to the ways in which your scars will testify to life and not to loss. That our groans would guide us to the guarantee we have from God himself. That by putting it on, we may not be found naked. In other words, God does not leave us unprepared for what is next. God prepares us. He's the only one who can. And he does so wonderfully. And we think as a Christian, you think of how we are clothed in Christ. We are clothed and covered in his righteousness. We are clothed in Christ with his holiness, with the graces of his work and by his spirit in our lives of compassion and kindness and patience and forbearance and love. And yet we're longing still to see the total restoration of this made complete. So we look forward to the second coming of Christ and that he provides everything we need for every moment. For every season, he provides. It's not going to be like we're going to be, hey, are you going to fulfill your promise? No, we rest in him that he who has done it has completed it and in him we have our full satisfaction. And so our groans simply lead us and guide us right to the guarantee that he has provided for us. See, so oftentimes we've had the experience before where you get dressed and maybe there's some, you know, everybody's got their thing. Maybe there's something on your, you know, maybe you wear a watch 
Maybe wear a, you know, some sort of prayer bracelet or something like that. You know, or maybe your belt and you leave the house without it. 20 minutes later, what's the statement that you make? I feel like I'm naked. Right? I feel like something's missing. I feel like I'm just not completely there. In Christ will never say that. Believers in heaven right now are not saying that. As we await even resurrection bodies and would cry out along with the saints in Revelation chapter 6, how long, O Lord, even then as we long for the restoration, we rest sure in what God has already provided, resting in His guarantee that we will one day testify to that with our own bodies as well. Verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So while we're still in the tent, it's, it's like we keep looking at heaven and are being amazed by it, and then we come back to reality, and it's like you pinch it, and it still hurts. While we're in this tent, we groan. He mentioned it again, being burdened, being burdened with diets. Got to get your fiber. Got to take your vitamins. Your eyes are growing dim. Where you used to be the one who was rocking out, right? Muscle car or whatever else. Now you're the guy who's like, can we turn this down? Never thought you'd say that. And as soon as it came out of your mouth, you're like, oh, man, me too. Spiritual burdens where we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Sin struggles, sorting it all out. Where not only our own individual sin struggles, but then trying to sort out the weight of the sin of others oftentimes inflicted upon us. And for every groan, he hears us. That Christ our King, Christ our resurrected Lord, empathizes with us because he took on flesh and lived a real life full of groans and hurts and losses, full of betrayal, full of hunger. And he lives. And because he lives, we will also. But while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened. But that burden doesn't simply lead us to a place of despair. It actually leads us to a place of hope. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. It's not that we look at life and we say, okay, I just get to a point where I just want out. No, it's we, we are longing for what Christ is going to do. This better hope that's found in him and this tattered scraps of temporary dwelling places that we will be further clothed in Christ. And he covers up every failure and every flaw and every hurt and everything else. And it just testifies, look at what our God has done here as mortality is swallowed up in life. You can go back and you can read all about this in 1 Corinthians 15. On the one hand, we got to admit our own mortality. Look, an AI filter on your Instagram account is not going to lead to immortality. I hate to break it to you, it's not going to work. All these ways in which we're trying to dodge the issue, the fact is, we're all going to die. But that's not the end of the story in Christ, is it? We live. What a guarantee that we have in Him. 
So we live in that guarantee. We, we think back about this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look forward to more, what is mortal being swallowed up by life, just wholly consumed, where all that's left to look at is life. It's like when you put all the, you know, the stuff in front of your kids and you turn your back for one second and you're like, where did all the cupcakes go? And all they just have a big old grin on their face. Just completely consumed. All you see is life. That our groans would guide us to God's guarantee. Guarantees like Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8. They say, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Remember what we know we have in Christ so that no matter the diagnosis, no matter the frailty, no matter the weakness, no matter the struggle, how deep and long the tears may go and the groaning and the agony and the wondering, God is preparing for you, if you are a believer, preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let our groans guide us to God's guarantee. How can we be so sure? Well, he who prepared us for this very thing is God. Isn't that hopeful? We didn't prepare ourselves? Nope. You didn't have to get it all figured out before you came to Christ? Nope. You didn't have to put it all back together first? Nope. You don't have to face the reality of death, trying to sort all of, out, all of your affairs out and make sure you get the right lawyer and everything else? Nope. He has all done all this already. He prepares us. So we're not fretting over our own ability. We're embracing our weakness to gladly trust in him. He who prepared us for this very thing is God. God is a better prepper than you are. And he doesn't have to freeze dry anything. And he's not stockpiling bullets because he's mightier than everybody else anyway. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God himself. So as we groan in our brokenness, it leads us right into his gracious hands. So we can look at our lives so often where it feels like just shambles and tatters. Don't know where to go and don't know where to turn. And then the skilled craftsman finally shows up. He's like, I got everything I need. And he starts restoring what is broken and putting together what is ruined and beyond repair. And before you know it, the grand unveiling comes and it was better than you could have ever imagined. You start to, you start to wonder, is this even the same place? Is this even the same thing? It's better than it ever was before. This is what our God in Christ, by the work of his spirit, is doing in our hearts and lives right now so that we don't come all figured out and everything else we come broken and in need we come crying out in our own frailty resting in only the fact that he alone could guarantee and in his guarantee we have hope he who has prepared us for this very thing is god it's like the dad getting everything ready for the car trip and all you have to do is wake the kids up and get them in the car 
Dad, I forgot my suitcase. No, you didn't. I brought it. Dad, I'm hungry. I forgot a snack. No, you didn't. I brought it. He's prepared everything that you need. All we have to do is trust him. Behold our God in his grace. Are you trusting in his provision and that his provision is better than yours? Confidence in what Jesus Christ has already done. Because our God is so good that not only does he say, look, there's a guarantee laid up for every believer. He says, look, I'm going to give you a guarantee, the guarantee right now. So he who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He has given us the Spirit. See what we already have as a believer? The third person of the Trinity. For every person who has repented of their sin and trusts in Christ as Savior and Lord, at the moment of your conversion, you are indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God. Who is described here as our guarantee. Our down payment is another way of thinking about that. And we want, maybe you wonder, well, how is this the case? Well, we already see life in the face of death, right? By the work of the Holy Spirit. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. What happened? We're made alive in Christ Jesus. What was once just a, a ruined wasteland that all, every time you tried to bring something forth by your own will and wits and work and everything else, it just came to shambles. And yet now your life is a garden of grace. Starting to bear forth love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And all these things were like, I wasn't even going to pray for that before. But now I'm delighting the fact that he brought it out. Look at what he's done. Only our God could bring that about. Guiding us in his righteousness. Training us in holiness. Teaching us the way in which we ought to go. Giving us wisdom. And when we ask for it, just pouring it into our lives. He hears our groans and intercedes for us in all the ways that we don't even know what to say. He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So that we can see all the evidence of life in the face of death right now. Our Savior, our Builder, our Provider, our Guarantor is God. We're not meant to trust ourselves for anything. Are you trusting in Christ? Do you have this guarantee in your life? We don't make ourselves ready. Let your groans in life guide you to God's guarantee to life now in Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, opening your eyes to see just how awful your sin is against a righteous and holy God, and yet seeing the way in which in love He has provided salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of your sins, that He died in your place. That a guarantee is really only as good as the one who makes it. God of all creation has made a guarantee. Are we resting in it? And that as we long for heaven, we don't lose heart now. But the question here remains for everybody in here. Where have your groans guided you thus far? 
Because there are several guarantees that we could think about. You can think of Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed a man wants to die and then comes judgment. Not only do we face the fact of our own mortality, we're all going to die. We face the fact that we're all going to die having to go give an account for our lives. To give an account as to whether or not we trusted in Christ. The only hope of salvation. And then as we think of the guarantees from that point, we can think, okay, well, the guarantee for the believer that when, when we stand before the Father, we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ, made righteous by Him, sure in Him, secure in Him, resting in Him that He died for me. I don't deserve it, but He freely gave me salvation. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I am covered with His righteousness. What a secure position. What a precious guarantee you have if you have Christ this morning. But see, this cuts both ways too. Because if you don't have Christ as your Savior and Lord, He who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. If you don't have Him, the guarantee is hell. And that's heavy. Hell because our sin deserves punishment. And our sin deserves punishment that reflects the fact that our rebellion is against the highest authority of all. Let your groans in your life guide you to guaranteed life in Christ. That if you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, let the frailty of life lead you to the faithfulness of Jesus. But the brokenness of life leads you to the only one who can put things back together. But the frazzled reality of coming to grips that none of us are going to get out of this place alive lead us to the secure, glad, joyful hope that in Jesus Christ we live. We live now, and that just as Jesus said in John chapter 11, if anyone believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Turn to Christ as Savior and Lord. The eternal Son of God who took on the flesh, who lived in perfect righteousness, who was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, who went to the cross and died in the place of all who would repent and believe, who laid down his life for you who rose again, and by his victorious life, we are guaranteed life through faith in him. Won't you trust him here today? Let our groans guide us to God's guarantee of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we readily admit here our own weakness. And God, we need 
you to give life. For the person here who has never trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, Father, we pray that you would open their eyes to see the state of affairs. That they would run to Jesus in faith and have the guarantee of everlasting life. Father, we pray that you would bring great conviction, that you would bring great life, that we could yet again testify and watch and behold and say, look at what our God has done. And Father, for all of us in here who are believers, Lord, encourage us in our frailty. Encourage us in our weakness. Encourage us in every admission that we make that this is not it. This is not our home. We are pilgrims and exiles here. Father, we are walking in our own weakness, longing for life. And Father, what a life you give. In each and every way, Father, be glorified as we respond to you in faith. As the believer trusts all the more further in you and takes great delight in the guarantee of salvation. We pray also, Father, that you would turn unbelieving hearts to believe and that we together here today would worship you in spirit and truth, the God who has guaranteed life. We love you. We trust you. We ask you to do more than we can do for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.